0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we are excited uh, that you have joined us today. Uh, whether you're watching us on the YouTube channel or you're listening to uh, audio via the podcast, uh, you can uh, stay with this Bible Study and, uh, and go back and through, through all kinds of history that we've had here on the Wednesday Bible Study. We've been at this seven full years now, uh, and uh, we have uh, documented and archived almost every Bible study that we've had. We didn't archive all of them, uh, but most of them that we have. Now, I do want to make a programming note right out of the gate for those of you that uh, are accustomed to this. You join us every week either here in the room, which we started back, what, this is our third back in the room. So we, uh, we've started back the men in, here in the community. Uh, you're welcome to come back to the studio if you live in the community where we are located. We'd love to have you there uh, here in the room with us. Um, and uh, But those of you that, uh, that do this quite often, and you kind of know the routine, I will be on vacation next week. So one week from, the, from today, we will not be here. And uh, every time I want to let you know about uh, uh, weeks that I'm away, which those will be rare, but when I'm away, this is an opportunity for you to go back and maybe pick up parts of Bible studies or entire Bible studies that you may have missed in the past. And there's two ways to do that. You can go to uh, Burgess Ministries, uh, click on Listen, uh, and you'll see where it says the, the, the Wednesday Bible study, men's Bible study, something like that. It, it, it's, you'll see it. It's obvious. And then you can scroll through and find audio archives of multiple Bible studies, including uh, standalone Bible studies. And we have some of those that, that they were just for one meet. They're not part of, part of a series. One meeting, you can find those too. So if there's anything you missed or maybe stuff you want to go back and listen to or watch, another option is the YouTube channel. You can click on the playlist there. Playlist comes down. Click on the, the Men's Bible Study, the Wednesday Bible Study, and you can walk back through those archives as well. We have more of them audio than we do video, uh, but uh, for many of them, you can have either option. Uh, If you have ever seen me in person, probably listening is a better experience. Uh, But we're we're glad that you are here today, however you're here. Uh, We are going through a new series. It's uh, from the How to Be a Man uh, 40-Day Devotionals. You can find these at uh, themanchurch.com. We have three of these. They're a trilogy. Uh, This is the final one. This is called Discovering What It Means to Be a Disciple. Uh, this is our second session. Uh, we'll, uh, th- I think I can get this in in eight sessions, ten max, uh, eight um, uh, minimum, uh, and then we'll move into a uh, expository study again. We'll go into the book of 1 Corinthians. That'll be what we'll do. What we'll be doing after this. So this is our second session of this new Bible study. Before we pray and get started, I do want to let you know what's happening as themanchurch.com uh, is out on the road. We're doing manchurch gatherings. Uh, we're implementing our curriculum. Uh, We now have exceeded 200-plus churches now. Praise the Lord for that. This has been an uphill climb with the pandemic and all that. I think we're around church 210, 211 now. And so if you'd like to know where churches are doing our strategy and you'd like to come to one of the gatherings, uh, Orange Beach, Alabama, I bet I can get you to that one. Uh, That's coming up on July the 18th. I'll be there kicking off our, uh, our men's discipleship strategy. They'll start the curriculum, so you can plug into a small group there too in Orange Beach and and, uh, down there around um, Gulf Shores, United Methodist Church is where we will be. So make a note of that. Uh, And also, uh, I'll be going to Decatur, Alabama. They've already done the first curriculum almost completely, uh, but I'll be there for their next man church, kind of getting them ready for the next curriculum. That's at First Baptist Church in Decatur, Alabama. And then I'll be staying that night, and I have the honor to speak that next morning. So ladies, you you guys uh, uh, could join us for that as well on that Sunday morning after we've had the men's service that Saturday night. I think in Decatur, they're cooking steak too, by the way, so just make a note of that. Um, Then I'll be in Huntsville again on August the 6th. This is a standalone men's event there at Mount Zion Baptist Church. August 12th, Man Church. Again, this is another church that's already almost completely through the curriculum. They're about three-quarters of the way through the first curriculum, and I'll be there for their next gathering. Uh, That's going to be at First Baptist Church in Athens, Alabama. And then a a really unique opportunity for those of you that are married, Sherry and I, my wife Sherry, we will be at Olive Baptist Church uh, there in Pensacola, Florida. You can come spend the weekend in Pensacola on the weekend of August the 14th. The marriage conference is just a one-day conference. Sherry and I will do two sessions that Saturday night. It will be followed by Shane and Shane in concert. So if you'd like to get a ticket to that, and you get a, a, a unique chance to come here, Sherry uh, speak as well. well. We'll be talking about marriage and what the Bible has to say about that August 14th, so make plans to be with us. Uh, then Rich Wingo and I will be doing a man church one day, Linwood Baptist Church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, on August the 21st. Uh, Rich and I both will be speaking, and this will of the church is about to start the Men's Discipleship Strategy. Uh, and then that kind of concludes the summer. Some others are coming up in the fall. You can find all those by going to BurgessMinistries.com under Upcoming Events. If if I'm part of it or Sherry's part of it, you'll find it there. Uh, If you're just looking to go to a man church that might feature any of our teachers, go to TheManchurch.com and click on Events. Uh, The only thing we list there are man church services, but this is the services that are being done everywhere by any of our speakers. So uh, that's kind of your two resources. TheManchurch.com for men only, Burgess Ministries for anything involving Sherry, and me. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, Let's pray and let's jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, We're excited about what's coming up. We're excited about today. Uh, You're going to continue to refine us into the people that only you have called us to be. We can't do it without abiding in you. Uh, We're taking on this concept of disciples. You told us that we are to be a disciple and that we are to make disciples, but we have to understand what that means. And today, Lord, may we find out more. Uh, In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're, if you're picking up here with session two, uh, last week, these, these are eight characteristics of, of what uh, we would find in someone who was a disciple. Last week, we said a disciple has been transformed. Uh, I mean, we talked about that if you're a disciple of Jesus, he has transformed your life and is continuing to transform that. If you missed last week, go back and pick that up. Or if you do have this 40-day devotional, go back and read through it. Now, what I'm doing here is not replacing the devotional. The devotional is going to have a lot of personal stories from the eight writers, and all that. What I'm doing in, in this Bible study is unpacking the verses uh, that and the concepts every week. So so yes, you, you me doing the Bible study can kind of get you sort of what the devotion is all about. But I would still encourage you to keep these things for yourself in your personal time that you can read through it, put your hands on it. And I would also encourage you that when we're doing these Bible studies, it is really really important if you want to retain it, to either you know get an archive of it and, and keep it with you. But take notes. I, this is the thing that has transformed my walk, uh, my grasp of, 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 uh, of verses and my, my, my remembering the Bible, learning the Bible. you got to write stuff down because, honestly, especially if you get as old as I am now, your ability to retain everything that was said without writing it down gets harder and harder. And the great Adrian Rogers said, the man can almost say it with me now, who've been with me for years, uh, is the cheapest pen will serve you better in your Bible study than the greatest memory. Uh, write stuff down, underline stuff, highlight stuff. It really makes a difference. So 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 the first step, so that was the first week. A, a disciple is transformed by Jesus. Now here's the, the next one. The second concept that we're going to unpack today, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you live a life that is surrendered to a gospel-centered life. A disciple of Jesus, you've heard me oversimplify this. Remember, the guys here know what I say. I'm from Calhoun County, Alabama. It's about halfway between Atlanta and Birmingham. If you're going from Birmingham to Atlanta, or Atlanta to Birmingham, it's where you stop and go to the bathroom. So that, that's where I'm from, Calhoun County, about halfway between those two cities and those two states. So I come. I'm a C student from a public school in Calhoun County, Alabama, but let me tell you what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who does what Jesus says to do and says what Jesus says to say. So this is going to talk about that a little bit today because it means that the gospel is at the center of our life. The gospel is not something that we casually have in our life. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, then he is it. He is all-encompassing, and everything in my life rolls through the filter of the gospel. That's that's a disciple. This is not some casual relationship. This is not cultural Christianity. This is not, I believe, certain concepts about Jesus. I am in Christ, that word abide. I, I abide in Christ. I belong to him he abides in me, I abiding him, his words abiding me, my word, I abide in his words, and then he produces the fruit in me because I am living my life with him at the center of it. Let me tell you, this, this discipleship stuff is not a casual. That's the reason why that you see what in, in the New Testament? How many times did I say it? 250 times in the New Testament, we hear the word disciple. We hear the word Christian three times. And there was nobody in the New Testament that was called a Christian that wasn't already a disciple. So the discipleship, and he says for us to go and make, what? go? So go go make Christians? Did he say go make converts? No, he said go make disciples. And how do we make disciples? Teach them everything that I have commanded you. Would you agree with me, brothers, and some of you sisters that watch this too, would you agree with me, brothers in the room, that it is impossible for me to teach you something that I don't know? That's impossible. Will you teach me what Jesus has commanded you? I don't know what he commanded me. I'm sorry I can't teach you. So I can't make a disciple unless I am a disciple. So that's the key. I can't teach you something that I don't know. Uh, so if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we're going to, our first verse we're going to work through today is going to be in the, uh, the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Some very convicting words uh, in chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. Now in the, in the devotion, the how to be a man devotional, uh, these five days have been written by my dear friend Rich Wingo, who's part of our Wednesday Bible study and part of our team there at themanchurch.com, and he'll tell you some of his personal stories if you read that. But but the bottom line is when we're going to take this surrender to a gospel-centered life, the the concept is this is not about what God can do for me, but about my response to what God has already done for me. Does everybody follow that? You know, because sometimes we we live our lives, and you got to be careful, because there's a lot of modern theology out there that'll make you believe this lie. Sometimes we live our life as if God is enamored with us, that that God has become a human worshiper, and uh, that, by the way, that's not true. What 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 a surrendering to a gospel-centered life means. I don't live my life saying, "What is God going to do for me?" and and I, like he's some genie in a bottle. I'm living my life in response to what he's already done. Which is He has redeemed me. What's already been done. I am not the center of my life. Christ is the center of my life. Let me say that again. I am not the center of my life. Christ is the center of my life. I'm doing everything to point you to Him. Let me tell you this right now. I'm trying to stay seated. Let me tell you this right now. If, if what I'm if what I'm doing if what I'm doing has pointed you to me and I haven't pointed you to Jesus, that I'm in sin. I have failed because there's nothing wonderful about me. But i got to tell you something. I'm here to tell you there's something wonderful about him. And so I'm going to live my life through the filter of what Jesus Christ has has made. Like we said last week, he's transformed me. So now I live my life. I love, I love, and I had a brother tell me this this past weekend at Gridiron. I love this when you talk about when people try to make Jesus out to be this life coach or to be this hippie. And you go to the part of Jesus, even when he's being subtle, even when he's just being calm, when Nicodemus, when he's talking to Nicodemus, here comes Calhoun County uh, version of the message, you know, a paraphrase. Here's Nicodemus, and Nicodemus says to Jesus, I've done this, I've done this, I know this, I know this, I know that, and I understand this, I completely do this, I'm pretty big deal here, uh, you know, in the Jewish community. And you know what Jesus says to him? By the way, you're going to hell. you got to be born again you got to be transformed. All that doesn't mean anything because you're still in your sin. You have not been delivered. So, And then, of course, Nicodemus leans in. He says, well, tell me about this being born again. What do you mean? And he tells him what that means. So we have to be transformed, and now that becomes the center of who we are. So then we have a responsibility, which Ezekiel's talking about even in the Old Testament, because remember, the entire Bible is about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The quicker you understand that, the better. So Ezekiel is, is, is looking forward. He's looking forward, even though this deals with the, with the Old Testament relationship between God and, and Israel. But he's telling Ezekiel, even looking forward to the church age, when Jesus is going to say, make disciples and teach them all that I have commanded you, and you're going to be held accountable for whether you did that or not. So if I have a gospel-centered life, and if I'm so passionate to tell you about a restaurant that I, that I can't get over, you would think I'd be passionate enough to tell you about what transformed my entire life and delivered me from hell. You know, and hey, when's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? Because I talk about everything else I care about, right? That I'm passionate about. So, so here's what Ezekiel is, is being told by God. Listen to this. This is in Ezekiel chapter three, if you want to turn there. And um, it starts um, in 16, but I'm this is just talking about at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel 17 is where the message comes in. Listen to this. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So he's saying, I've told you to watch over my people. In the church age, we're told to watch over his church. Okay, I've given you my church. And now the Jew and the Gentile are one. There is no ethnicity anymore inside the church, which for some reason our country can't seem to learn. But listen to this. He says... Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. So when I tell you something, prophet, when I tell you something, disciple, then it is your responsibility to then go and tell people what I have told you. He says, if I say something like this, if you say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And, and he says, and, and if I've said that to you and I, and I say, look, go tell the wicked, you shall surely die. So in our case, if we look at Scripture, and it says, if you're not redeemed by Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, if I've told you the exclusivity of Jesus, in this case, if I tell you to go tell my people that this this, whatever is wicked, and he says, and you shall, and and they're going to die if they don't repent, they're going to die if they don't change, he said, and you give them no warning, I tell you this, I I tell you the truth about my wrath, my judgment, Their, their, their behavior is in conflict with me, they blaspheme me, and they're going to die if this doesn't stop and they don't repent of this. If I tell you to tell them this and then you don't do it and you don't speak and you don't warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity but his blood I will require from your hand. That's big. That's big. So wait a minute. So it, it, is it a big deal that I know the truth, but I just don't tell anybody? Apparently. Apparently it is. Look, I go through this all the time going out and the opportunities that I get a chance to go out and speak. I will get up there and I will say, Look, this is what he said. This is what the Word of God said. This is what he says redemption looks like. This is what salvation is. And I have literally said it before, and if I don't say it, I always know it in my spirit. I'm not going to be held accountable for you anymore. I told you the truth. I told you what the Lord told me to say. There's nothing I can do about your response to it. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to stand before my Holy Father I'm not going to stand before the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and then look down at me as you're burning in hell and say, why did you tell them? I, I told you to tell them. I gave you an opportunity to tell them, and you didn't do it. Now, they're going to die in their sin, but I'm going to hold you accountable for it. So then uh, God says this to Ezekiel, which is important, but if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, are from his wicked way, he still shall die for his iniquity, but you will be delivered. I'll deliver your soul. You won't be held accountable for that. You and I will be, be fine because you told them. And if they rejected me, that's not on you. But if I told you... See, see, what we do, we're sitting here, and I don't know what we're so so casual about. We're sitting here with the Word of God and what he has to say... And he's given who he is, who we are, the situation we're in, the severity of sin, the fall of all mankind, and then there is incredible good news. Y'all have heard me tell this before, man. This is such one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard is this missionary that reached that unreached people group in the middle of the jungles of somewhere in South America. And he says, I go up, I've got a translator, I don't even know this language He goes, and and I've got a guy who can interpret it. He knows their language. I present the gospel. I'm talking to the chief, and I finish, and the chief says in his language, back to this guy that knows the language, and they have never seen the Bible in their lives. And he said, I looked at my interpreter, and I said, what did he say? Now, remember, they never heard the word gospel. He says, he just said, that's good news. And then the guy goes on. Are you ready for this one? Back to this. He says, what is he saying now? He said, what took y'all so long? Where you been? And you know what he's probably thinking about? The generations of his people that died before they ever got there. Now, how God handles that, I don't know. But uh, but I do know this, that this guy was saying, where you been? So I don't understand why there's no urgency with this, and and I don't understand why we we seem to say, well, I'll get to this when I get done with all the other stuff that I really care about. But, but it, apparently, when, we, when we've been given the, the message of life and death, God actually can't believe that we won't tell people about it. And he says you're in rebellion when you don't. Because I said, go make disciples, now speaking to the church age, uh, go make disciples and teach them all that I've commanded you. It's the same thing. You, you say, well, Rick, he was talking to a prophet, but Jesus is talking to you and me. We, we are the ambassadors. Paul says this clearly. We're ambassadors for Christ. And, and so we're supposed to be going out in our gospel-centered life, if we're his disciple, making disciples. But again, we cannot disciple anyone if we ourselves have not been discipled. We cannot teach somebody something that we don't know. But if we know the truth and we withhold it, God clearly says, these people's blood is going to be on your hands. The Bible has no... Listen to this. This is one of the things that, that Wingo wrote, and I agree with him 100%. We have searched Scripture. We have looked everywhere in Scripture, and I would challenge you to do the same thing. You will not find a godly man in this Word of God that is passive. You will not find him. There's not a passive man in here when it comes to proclaiming what God has told him. There, There's no place for passive men and the gospel-centered life. And and, and frankly, if this doesn't mean anything to you, it's probably because you don't really understand it. So here's the question. Does your life make a difference or not to the kingdom of God? I mean, if you were to die tomorrow, is the kingdom affected one way or another? I mean, if I sit there, I'm going to get up at your funeral, and I'm going to sit there, and I'm up. I knew I was going to get up. I get up at your funeral, and I say, all right, Everybody who was impacted by this man for the kingdom, every disciple that he made, I want you all to stand up. Would your own children even stand up? Let me see the disciples, that this man that we're about to bury, if you're you're a disciple because he discipled you and taught you all that Jesus had commanded him, will you please stand up? Is anybody going to stand up? Well, you may have chosen to do that and think it doesn't matter, but apparently, when you stand before God, it's really gonna matter. I give you all this influence, I give you all this money, I give you all this platform. You realize, and you think it's yours. That's the funniest thing. I never forget the first time I talked to the first man that was talking about tithing. He said, "Well, hey, that's my money." I said, "You're going." I said, "That's the kind of attitude sends people to hell." What do you mean it's your money? It's not your money. You're nothing without him. You're nothing without him. You think he needs your money? You think he really needed the young rich ruler to sell everything he had so Jesus could advance his, I don't know how I'm going to advance my my ministry without this young rich ruler. He just wants to know if he was willing to. Does it mean that much to you? Would you give up anything to follow me? And you know what he was addressing with that guy? That was that guy's problem. He might come over to me and say, are you willing to give up the radio show to follow me? Well, but I mean, I, I, th- I thought that's my platform. No, I'm just asking you. Maybe that's maybe maybe I could do more with you. Would you walk away from it tomorrow if I told you to? By the way, the answer is yes, I would. Because look, I, I've already I've tasted of the Lord and He is good. I, I'm 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 like the twelve. I may not I don't know everything I need to know yet. When Jesus started talking about eating His flesh and drinking His blood, and He emptied the church back down to twelve, He had a pretty good. Hey, he's getting about 120 people. Well, also he went from 120 back down to twelve. And he looks around them. He said, "He said, how come you're not going with him? I love, Peter was honest. He said, where are we going to go? I don't really know what you're talking about either. But we've seen what you can do. So we're with you. You keep teaching us. We didn't get that message either. It's not like they said they understood it. What they said is we just, we know you. We see what you do. And I've seen what he can do for me. And I'll be honest with you, I'm with him. And wherever he wants me to go, that's where I'm going to go. You know, and, and he's already got me to the point. I mean, what are you going to do to me? I got him. Remember we talked about that in Romans 8? If he's with me, I don't care if you're against me. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of any movement out there that wants to cancel this Bible study. I, I say bring it on. Persecution, uh, you know, all persecution going to do is let I'm, people are going to see through persecution. Every persecution I've ever been through, every tragedy I've ever been through, you know, people. Well, it was just an opportunity for people me to show to somebody that God really is real. Not for me to say, well, I'm with him as long as everything goes the way I want it to go. Let me tell you something. I remember praying with one of my good friends one time, and I, and we were praying, and he said, you know what's going to happen, don't you? I said, what? He said, I'm praying right now, and I, and I know what's going to happen. And there's somebody that walks with God. I said, what do you mean? He goes, God's about to take my job from me. And he said, I know when we pray it's over. He said, because I I, I'm clinging to this. This is my identity. And, he said, and you know what happened after we prayed for him to be in God's will? God took, took the job away from him. Because for the first time, the man's heart was sincere, and he knew if you take it away from me, I'm good. He may not take it, but you better be willing to give it up. Because if you're not willing to give it up, he loves you enough he'll do whatever he needs to for you to, for you to be willing to give it up. He doesn't do that because he hates you. We're going to talk about that. He does that because he loves you. Next verse we're going to uncover. So let's go to the writer of Hebrews. Ooh, the writer of Hebrews, chapter twelve. This is hey, this gets ugly right here. I love I love this stuff. It, it convicts me, but I love it. So, if you if you're reading this part, Wingo, who's who's here today, but anyway, Wingo and I did a a, a men's conference together, and I do remember this so so vividly, just like he does. We had these men that come forward to respond to Jesus, not to respond to any speaker, or any respond to Jesus. They were under the they were just like when they looked up to Peter at Pentecost, these men were crying out, hey, what are we supposed to do? Our heart is pierced by what? A presentation? No, the Holy Spirit. God was with us and we felt him, didn't we? Those of you who were there was a mobile and men, I'm 56, men older than me, about my age, they just they just hit that altar. There were some younger guys that were wanting to move too, but they almost almost kind of freaked out by these older guys wailing at the altar. You remember that sound? wailing at the altar. And as Rich writes in here, and I remember us talking about it on the way home, and, and I don't know if you remember this, we even used it with some of the younger guys that were standing there. Kind- it's almost like picture these guys at the altar and then picture guys kind of standing back because they were young. They, they wanted Jesus too, but they were like, man, this sounds it's really uncomfortable. But what do we say repentance really is? The vomiting of the soul. Well, these men were vomiting their souls. But guess what this sound was? it was a sound of regret and I, I remember the younger guys being told by you uh, hey you hear that sound you're a young guy you hadn't built up all the regret these guys have what you hear is the sound of regret, things that they'll never be able to change on earth and right now they finally recognize how wretched and sinful they've been and they regret it but the celebration is they're about to be transformed into new people and you know what? That'll be wiped away as far as the east is from the west. But, but, the damage that was done here on Earth, these men can't take back. Now, one day, that's not going to matter, unless, of course, there's going to be blood on their hands for for people they went through their life. And they, they, they I, I know there's people that died when I claimed to be cultu- a cultural, a cultural Christian. I was a cultural Christian. There were people that died when I knew things that I should have told them that I didn't. And unless there's something happened I don't know about, and I praise, hope there is, those people went to hell. See, that's the thing I tell young people all the time. You see some of us that may have a platform. Hey, he lived a life of terrible sin, and and he, it worked out for him before he died. Yeah, but it don't work out for all of us. There's a lot of men that ran with me too. They died before they were redeemed. So this thing that you're going to party a little while, you're going to be in rebellion to God, and then right, and, and then you're going to get to be into your 50s or something, then you're going to finally repent, then it's going to be okay, and you're not going to die and go to hell, I w- that's a dangerous theology. There's a lot of guys that I ran with that they, they never got the opportunity that I got. I don't know whether I'll ever see them again or not, but I know if they are redeemed, it's not because of what I did. All I did was send them a message that sent them straight to hell. And I've been forgiven for that, but, but one day I'll answer for that. And, and it'll impact the way I live eternity. But you still keep pressing for a well done. You know, you make what you got left count. So Hebrews, so the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, I love this, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, disciples of Christ, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Do You remember, remember what he's talking about here, the writer of Hebrews? You remember when Jacob decided he was going to wrestle for his blessing? <laughs> and finally the angel says, I'm going to take your hip out of, out of socket, and we're going to end this little fight. And he did end up getting his blessing. But what did he do the rest of his life? Limp. And you know why he limped the rest of his life? To be reminded what it's like to wrestle with God. Don't ever forget that. You know, I, I the only reason, the only thing you got from me was grace, because you can't defeat me. And I want you to limp, and I want you, and I liked your passion that you wanted a blessing, but well, you're going to limp, and you're going to remember what we went through. And then he goes in fourteen. He says, "Strive for peace with everyone." Something I really have to work on. You know, and my deal is now I'm going to be at peace with you as long as it, as long as I'm in control of. Now you may decide you don't want to be at peace with me and I can't do anything about that, but I'm not going to be the rebel rouser anymore that goes out creating all this uh, this strife. I want to be at peace with everyone and he says in this he says, as long as it you know I can't I, I strive for that and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now what did he say? So I'm striving for peace with everyone and what else am I striving for? Holiness. And then he says, without which no one will see the Lord. I'd underline that, get you a highlight or something like that. So, wait a minute. So, if I'm not holy, I won't see the Lord? That is correct. Well, who makes you holy? Jesus. That's that gospel centered life. I abide in him, he makes me fully righteous. Remember, right, you've heard me teach this for years. Don't you let anybody say, well, you know, you don't have to be perfect to go to heaven. Oh, yes, you do. But you can't do it. I can't do it. You know who makes us perfect? Jesus. Because when we stand before the the that the, when we stand before the standard, I am the beginning. I am the end. And I am holy, holy, holy. I am perfection. Nothing can enter into my presence with a speck of sin. So He sent His Son to come get us and redeem us, so that when we come before the Holy Father, we stand in Christ. And he looks at us and he says, I see perfection. But that can't be done without a gospel-centered life. That can't be done without surrender and abiding in Jesus. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it, many become defiled. Isn't that true? That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Well, he's a character, isn't he? Who sold his birthright for a single meal. I've gone back and I've looked at that and I've I've, I've read this historical moment over and over again. I'm like, man, he must have been hungry. But you know what he was doing? And don't miss this. Don't miss this. There's no charge for this extra add-in, by the way. What did Jacob send him out to do? Go get me something to eat. Where do you think he learned this gluttonous attitude about eating and food and pleasuring himself from Jacob? So, so um, when you're, I'm sorry, Isaac. Uh, so you you think about that Jacob is with his mama, and Isaac's in the bed, and Isaac tells Esau to go get him some food. So here's Daddy, and he's he's picked a favorite, which is Esau, because he's more like him. And so he's he's made that mistake. Now he's telling him, go get me some food, showing that undoubtedly Isaac liked to eat, just like Esau. And it says that he's letting himself go, that he's sitting there all heavy in the bed. Esau goes out, comes back. He's so hungry that he sells his birthright so that he could have something to eat. And, of course, Jacob, the deceiver, knows and his mama get together and get the plan. And here's what he said. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, you remember that when Esau freaked out and said, "Daddy, surely there's another plan. You you got to give me this blessing. I mean, can you give us two? Can you? Is there something else you could do?" And what's Isaac say, "Hey, Jacob got it straight up. I mean, this is the way it works. I've given it. I, I can't give it to you." And so Esau wanted to inherit his blessing, even after he had given it away by wanting to satisfy his flesh. He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with all the tears in the world. Too late. Now, this isn't saying that Esau had no chance at redemption from God, because we do see that uh, there's, a, there's some kind of reconciliation between Jacob and Esau, and we, and we see that that moment takes place. But what he is saying about the birthright no matter how much Esau begged Isaac to give him back to him, it couldn't be done. You know, I, I wish I hadn't uh, give it to Jacob. I wish I hadn't been so concentrated on on the the, the stew and and the food, and I and I didn't I didn't. So, but what we found here is we found a carnal man like Esau. We found a carnal man who 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 uh, something to eat was more important than even clear thinking, and about something as holy as a birthright. His daddy taught him about this. He's telling him, he'll "Get me something to eat." His daddy's picked a favorite, caused the strife between the two sons. And so what we find is this, this made a mess, and there was nothing that could be done to undo on earth what had happened. That's why this stuff is a really big deal. And here's what bothers me when I read this story. And look, Jacob was no angel. He and his mom are getting together and being deceitful, and that's where they talk, they talk about that. As a matter of fact, when you see Jesus seeing Nathaniel, you know when, when, when he's calling the 12, he says to Nathanael, there's no Jacob in you. Meaning, I don't see any deceit in you. You know, they, they they talked about that Jacob was deceitful. But, but most of us as men, a lot of us, we would think Esau will be our favorite son too. Oh, he's man's man. He, he, he's, he's rough and tumble, hunts, fishes, knows how to knows how to knows how to kill, slaughter, bring stuff in. But you know what, what he was? He was he was a carnal, flesh-loving man. Okay, and, and that's the reason why, you know, when people look back so say, when they were twins, what's God talking about that he hated one and loved the other? He's not talking about, remember we did the study of Romans, he's not talking about that he cast Esau to hell before the beginning of time, as some people believe. That's bad theology, in my opinion. Uh, we, we don't see that. What he said was, I'm going to do my bloodline to to redemption through Jacob, and I, and I knew that before they were born. And if you look at it, really, what he's saying is, I can't trust Esau with that. I know the kind of man Esau's going to be. I can't trust him with that. Even with the flaws, Jacob could be trusted with it, and Esau couldn't. So, so remember that. It, 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 it is, this, this goes back to what we talked about, about that sound of regret. Here was Esau with the sound of regret. Even though there could be redemption for him with his eternity, what we saw about this regret, he was saying, but look at the mess I've made of my earthly life. And it that decision really, really mattered. And he had a lot of misery, and so did others because of that. So the next scripture we want to uncover goes over to Judges. If you have your Bible, go to the book of Judges. uh, Judges in chapter 6, 11 through 17. Uh, If you're going to be surrendered to a gospel-centered life, I want you to look at the man Gideon here. Because this is one thing I want you to understand. If you're sitting there today and you're saying, Rick, I cannot be impactful for the kingdom. You don't know about me. Uh, The world doesn't think I'm impressive. I don't have any confidence. I don't think I can do it. I can't be given that responsibility. You know what you are? 100% right. But what you don't understand is the rest of us idiots can't be trusted with it either. Don't let Satan tell you you can't be used. As a matter of fact, God uses uh, 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 the kind of people that when people look at idiots like me, you know what they see? It must be Jesus because I know Rick. He can't do this. It must be God. No one will say, wow, look what Rick did. You know what they all keep saying? Is this the same guy that we knew? God's got him doing men's ministry? Are you serious? Oh, look, we're sitting there talking about regret. I told, uh, I told uh, Wingo and I had lunch before this, and I, I told him this, and we were laughing about it. I mean, it's not funny, but in a way it is. I'm sitting at a restaurant this past week because of the wretched man that I used to be. Uh, I'm sitting at a restaurant. My wife's with me. It's the Thursday before Father's Day. I'm having lunch with her dad and, and her mom, and a guy comes in, looks over at me, and said, hey, I need to talk to you before you leave. And I sit there and I look, my wife's looking at me. He said, I hadn't seen you in 10 or 12 years. And my wife goes, We're okay. Uh, because because I mean, but if the guy had said, I hadn't seen you in 30 years, we need to get out of the restaurant. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean, I don't know what leaving's gonna be like. So, so the fact that God is, and listen, he's trying to teach Gideon this. Gideon keeps wanting it to be somewhat that he wants to have this victory over the over the Midianites. He wants to have enough army. He wants to have enough people. He said, I can't do it. Really, honestly, Gideon gets on my nerves when he keeps putting his fleece out. That start that annoys me, and it had to annoy God a little bit. Hey, Gideon, how many more clear do I have to be? But what was God trying to make Gideon to understand? It's not you. I can use anybody. And what I'm trying to show you is that I'm going to take somebody like you, and I'm going to give you so few men when you defeat the Midianites, everybody's going to say, look at Gideon. No. They're going to say, wow, Gideon serves an awesome God because what we just saw could only be done by God. My life could only be done by God. What we're doing, with the, what's rolling out right now with the manchurch.com and the things that have happened with our family and the ministry we've been given, I promise you we're not the kind of people that can do that. It's, it, it's all so you can see that God can use anybody, anybody. I'm gonna tell you, there were times in my life, as somebody had walked up and said, no, "You're not gonna believe this. One day Burgess is gonna be used by God to put together this men's ministry thing and disciple men." And somebody would have said, "Burgess, you gotta be kidding me." I mean, it's kind of like when they went in, and you know, when when Ananias heard that when God said, "Hey, you need to go talk to Saul," he's like, "What? This guy? He'll kill us." You know, and what did God say? "No, I've got him ready. I've got him humbled. I've got him blind." Now I'm going to take the way he used to be against me, and I'm going to take that same personality, the same uh, you know, fervor he had, uh, that he was passionately wrong, I'm going to take that same passion, and the way he was persecuting my church, I'm going to shift him, and he's going to advance my church. And he can do that with you. He can do that with you. He can do that with anybody, if you're willing to have a, a gospel-centered life. So Gideon was beating out the wheat. This is in um, Judges 6, 11 through 17. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting on down to the part that we get through all these places and names I can't pronounce. Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Mennonites. He's, he's scared of them. And the angel of the Lord, remember when you see Lord uh, capitalized and you see angel of the Lord, many this is, this is a representation of the Son. This is a representation of Jesus. Angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. So I'm with you, O mighty man of valor. Now think about that. How weird was that for Gideon? to have an angel or the Lord, our Lord, call him a mighty man of valor. But why did the Lord call him a mighty man of valor? Why does he know he can be? Don't miss what he saying. I'm with you. I'm with you. Hey, hey, I'm with you, mighty man of valor. He didn't say, hey, get in. You're a mighty man of valor. He said, I'm with you, mighty man of valor. Don't miss that that was first because we're never going to be a mighty man of valor if we don't have the Lord. So he says, I'm with you. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? See, there we go. Well, if you're with me, why is all this happening? See, the disciple needs to get to the point that we trust the Lord so much. That we trust the Lord so much, we we wouldn't, we wouldn't say it that way. You know what we'd say? Lord, I know that you're with us, so what are you doing? Lord, I know you're with us, so this stuff you're allowing to happen, teach me what we're trying to do here. What do you want me to do? If you can get to the point, see, if you have a, a gospel-centered life, even when calamity is going on around you, instead of you going, where are you going? Why aren't you with me? You'll start saying, I know you're with me, so what are you doing? So this is your will? So what are you doing? Why are we doing this? It's okay to say that. Show me what we're doing. Teach me. See, that's the disciple. That, that's that's surrender to a gospel-centered life. You don't do like Gideon and go, well, if you're with us, why is all this happening? You know what you say? I know you're with me, so why is it happening? Show me what I need to know. What are you teaching me? What are you trying to kill in me? What are you trying to strengthen in me? What are you trying to refine in me? Let me see it. I want to learn because I know you're with me, so I know this is being allowed because you could stop it. You know, Unless it's something you did stupid that brought this on you. You know, there's many times in my life I said, well, my goodness, what's this situation? And I can just feel the Lord going, I don't know. I, I told you not to do this. I'll try to work it out, but you brought this on yourself. You know, but now if you're walking in a Christ-centered life and gospel-centered life and things are happening and you know that you're living the way you're supposed to, then God's in it and he's trying to teach you something. But Gideon's not there yet. So he says, and where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted as saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Who's mad at Gideon right now? He's basically saying, well, our father said you did all these wonderful things. Where's all that now? You ever been that guy? Well, Lord, I mean, you said that if I, you know, repented of my sin and I quit chasing these women and, and and go into the bars every night, that, you know, that you, I mean, you delivered me from all this stuff and I, I got needs for you. I, I still having a hard time. I've, I still have bad things happen in my life. I don't see you now. Where's all your power now? See, that, that. That, that's, that's a man that doesn't know God. I mean, God's, God, you know what he's saying? This isn't heaven. I, matter of fact, I said, and if you recall, when I walked around as 100% man and 100% God, I actually said to you, uh, John wrote it down in what y'all are now calling chapter, chapter 1633, which that's something y'all came up with, but, but you remember when John says that I stood there as a man, 100% man, 100% God, and I said, I'll say this so that you'll have peace in this world, the fallen world, you will have tribulation. Well, if God told you that, why do we always act like we don't expect it? What's all this tribulation? When when Jesus said, in this fallen world, you're going to have tribulation, but you always have joy in your heart. Don't you ever lose sight that I'm with you and remember that I've overcome the world. Oh, wow, so I'm not going to hell. That's correct. So what are you whining about? I told you this was the way it was going to be. I'm working something out. This is a fallen world full of all kinds of horrible things. But you, did you not flip ahead? you not remember me leaving John around? I didn't let him be martyred like the others so I could get him out to Patmos, so I could give him the revelation. Do you not remember that, John, I showed him that the time is coming, that I'm going to wipe away every tear, that death will be no more, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more despair? I told you that was coming. I didn't say it's here yet, and you're supposed to know that so that you never lose hope. That's a Christ-gospel-centered life. I know John 16, 33, and I know the revelation, and I know the revelation is what's coming, and I know that John 16, 33 is what I'm in now. It's all there. But Gideon's saying, well, my, our forefathers said you did all these great things. You're not doing it for us. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. See, that's a guy saying at least he gets that the Lord's the one that put him back in slavery. At least he's getting that, okay? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Remember Moses? Now, who am I supposed to say sent? me? I am. I'm sorry? I am. I have always been. By the way, he didn't say the big man upstairs has sent me. That he didn't say, my homeboy, Jesus, is sinning us. I hate all this stuff. Okay? He said, the great I am. And you know what he says? Do you love that he keeps calling him all these things that Gideon's not? Because what he's saying is, no, in me you can be. So, I mean, how are you going to do this? Am I not sending you? Why don't we have that attitude? Hey, hey, I, I want the gospel advanced to the ends of the earth. Well, how are we going to do that? Am I not sending you? What did Jesus say when he when he handed out the the great commission? I'll be with you. I don't send you out by yourself. I go with you. I've seen things happen before that I'm just like I don't even I can't believe this is taking I can't believe what I'm seeing and I, I I just see God looking down going, I told you you weren't doing it. I told you I was with you. Why did you ever doubt me? Of course we're of course we're pulling this off. Of course there's opposition. I have a hard time advancing the gospel. I bet. The Bible said you will. The adversary doesn't know what's going on. He's going to come against us. I told y'all about this stuff we're doing with TheManChurch.com. I, at one time, did not think God was in it because it was going so smoothly. I said, we've met no opposition. God's not in it. And then finally, uh, we met opposition, and we had things happen, and we had difficulty, and I got excited. And I remember talking to a, a friend of mine, Scott Dawson. He goes, he goes well, you seem like you're, you're, you're fired up. I said, big day for TheManChurch.com today. He said, great, what happened? I said, awful, terrible day. Terrible, horrible. I said, as a matter of fact, there's, uh, it looks like there's, a, there's an attempt to undermine it completely. And I said, so now I'm excited because now I know God's in it. I was starting to think He wasn't even here. Maybe this wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. Because the world was okay with it. But then the world came against it. And let me tell you something. This world right now will fight tooth and nail on any attempt to reach and disciple men. Because Satan says, that was my strategy. And so are y'all finally figuring out, I've been doing this since the fall? Destroy the man, destroy everything. Is the church ever going to wake up and say, disciple the man, change everything? Well, we're waking up to it. Now, not everybody's going to do it. But you know what? I'll stand before God and say, I did what you told me to do. I can't make them do it, but I did what you told me to do. I have some of these people say, you know, we start out with 50 guys in our Bible study. We're down to about 20. I said, ooh, those 20 are going to be a horse. That's 20 solid guys. That's God weeding out the 30 others that were in the way. You can't make, if they don't want to do it, send them home. Disciple the ones that come. I had a small church tell me this past weekend, a small church in a little bitty town of nowhere, they said for the first time ever they've started this discipleship strategy, they have more men attending their church than women. That's a turnaround. But why? That's because they've tasted of the Lord, and they're finally becoming the men that only he could make them. It's a game changer. And Gideon doesn't understand this right now. The Lord keeps saying, I'm with you. I'm sending you. So he says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as as one man. Yeah, you know, this is that thing again. I've heard this said many times. People love the David and Goliath analogy. And there's been some bad theology attempts of this, and there's some pretty good ones. And and the one that I think I've loved the most to be the simplest for the time that we have, I just love when it says, but you've got to understand, when David looked at Goliath, he wasn't afraid of him because he didn't look at him the way he looked to David. He looked at him the way he looked to God. I got news for you. Goliath ain't no big deal to the one and only living God, and David knew that God was with him, that he wasn't going to take the giant. God was, and to God, nine feet, it ain't no big deal. It's a homecoming game, and uh, and 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 that's why David had. What did David say? The Lord will deliver this blasphemer. Y'all if we afraid of him? Is the Lord not with us? I, I, I'm sure if I had to go out there and face him, just me, this is like a mismatch but I go with the one and only living God. And that's what he was telling Gideon. So don't you have this attitude that you can't do it. Another thing we need to know if we're going to have a gospel-centered life, go to Joshua. Joshua 1, 16 and 18. This is a beautiful moment. Can you imagine Joshua thinking, I've got to follow Moses, so I'm next? Yeah, as a matter of fact, Moses is not even going to take him into the land you are. See, you you got God with you, but you know what else God surrounds you with? encouragers. He surrounds you with people that say, I'm with you. I'll, I'll go with you. There's no greater feeling that I have, and I weep for those of you that don't have it, is I have strong men and I have a strong wife that I know stands with me. I don't do this alone. I've got the Lord, and the Lord has even said, I, I'm enough, but I'm also going to give you some brothers and sisters around you. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you those men that undergird you. I'm going to give you a wife that undergird you. I'm going to give you a wife that teaches you the Bible until you finally start to to take it yourself. I'm going to give you what you need. So if I call you to do something, I'll give you everything you need to do it. And this is a beautiful moment because Joshua's intimidated, rightfully so, right? Huh? And Joshua told the people everything that God had told him to tell them. And now you're kind of waiting on the response. I'm not Moses. And they know it. But listen to what God had the people say back to Joshua. You think this didn't feel good? They said to Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things. By the way, they didn't. I thought that was kind of a bold statement. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, eventually, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you. Meaning we ain't going to follow you not if you don't own the Lord as he was with Moses. 18, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. And then I love this next thing they said to Joshua. I hope you have these people in your life. We got your back. Now you go be strong and courageous. That's what it says next. name. Be strong and courageous. We're with you. And anybody who opposes you, may they be put to death. By the way, a little note here, don't go against God's man. You won't fare well. Don't mess with God's people. Okay? And they said, we know that you have the Lord, just as Moses had the Lord. So how about this? We'll do whatever you say. We'll go wherever you say to go. We're we're behind you. How about this? We'll fight off anybody who opposes you. So you be strong and courageous. Well, that'll help you be strong and courageous if you get that kind of... Un- Doesn't that help? Number two things. Do you have those kind of people in your life? Are you that person in somebody else's life? This is twofold. Gospel-centered life. We're, in, we're here. This is the church. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, and then, we're, then we'll wrap up. This is the last verses we need to complete uh, these five days that are in the devotional. So when we go to Romans chapter 7... You know, we we see the uh, the 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 rub that is going on uh, with with things that 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 that, you know we had uh, we had him Paul kind of struggling, and then he gets. Remember what we said when we went through Romans chapter eight? Uh, We said the reason why Romans chapter eight was written is because Paul had just finished working through Romans chapter seven, and he needed to remind himself of what's going on in Romans chapter eight. So look look at uh, chapter seven, verse fourteen. Romans chapter seven, verse fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold under sin. And then 15, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So you see that Paul is struggling, and, and, and we struggle with this too, because we start thinking to ourselves, it, it, it's too much. I, I can never get, I, I, go, I go two steps up, I go one step back. And here's Paul says, you know what? The Apostle Paul had the same problem. I'm struggling with, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know the call on my life, but yet there's times I end up doing the things that I hate and I, and I feel like I go backward and I'm sitting here struggling with this. And he says, but, 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 but the thing we have to understood, understand is that when we choose sin, the reason why we choose sin is because we still love sin. And even the Apostle Paul says, I'm being sanctified. I'm working out what I need to do and it seems like as I try to work out, and look, this is part of our lives. As I'm trying to work out my salvation, as I'm trying to grow, I'm in, I know what I believe, I know that I've been redeemed. I know that I need to be sanctified. But hey, Rick, hey guys, hey, hey, husband, hey wife. Everywhere I turn, it seems like I got something that I'm uh, an obstacle that keeps keeping me from getting to where I know I need to go. Anybody ever been there? Well, so so was the Apostle Paul. He says, this is frustrating. This is a frustrating process. Today I went backward, and why? You ever done that? Have you ever been like on the, I mean, moving? You're like, man, see, we make a mistake. I'm not saying Paul did it, but I know I do it where you think, I made it, I'm there, I've arrived. I won't do anything stupid anymore. And then what do you do? Something stupid. I mean, there's been times Sherry and I have come back and said, are we really fighting right now? How can this even be? You know me, I know you. What are we fighting about? How did this even happen? And you get frustrated, but you know what the Lord keeps saying? You still got the flesh, but your spirit's alive. Okay, and 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 Wingo uses the analogy in here that I love. You know, when you take you take uh, some white milk and you put some chocolate syrup in it for a minute, it's still just white milk with chocolate syrup laying on the bottom, right? It, you don't have chocolate milk yet, but if you stir it. And you start stirring that off the bottom, before you know it, that white milk starts looking a lot more like chocolate milk, doesn't it? That's the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and it's there. But we still got that flesh that's fighting for its life. And if we're gonna live a, a surrender to a gospel-centered life, we have to start feeding that spirit. And we gotta start living our lives in the spirit. Well, now that spirit starts becoming more in our life than the flesh and suddenly the flesh gets weaker and weaker and the spirit gets stronger and stronger and we start looking a lot more like Jesus than we did our old self. You see it's a process don't get frustrated and or if you get frustrated don't let it don't, don't let it because what happens a lot of times you know what Satan he did to me it, it worked. it worked more times so when I was fine you wouldn't believe the number of times I was close to redemption but I was so sinful, you know what Satan would say it's too late. It's over man. You ain't never get your sexual purity back. You blown it. I've seen that happen with women before. They get their spirit broken, they give in to some guy, and Satan says, Well, it's over now. You'll never have that day on your wedding day now. He's done with you, he won't receive you. Now that's a lie. Because I got news for you. If you want to find true equality, it's all at the foot of the cross. None of us deserve redemption. I may not have done what you did, but I probably did something you didn't do. We all got something. <laughs> and you see more than one thing. We all got plenty. And so Paul says, okay, chapter 8, for the law of the spirit of life, in verse 2, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We, we're we not held to, we, we are, we, we, the, the standard of the law didn't change. Which is why Jesus had to come. Well, we we can never, we can never do it. That's why you sell this in the Bible that keeps telling you about the law, the law, the law. It makes you realize there's no way. And you know what Jesus says, Right. That's why I'm here. I'm the way. I have fulfilled the law. I I will make you fully righteous. And then your obedience will flow from the power of me. And then you'll stand not only perfect in the eyes of my Father but I will begin to produce fruit in you of obedience in response to being made fully righteous. I'll transform you completely. But in order for that transformation to take place, you've got to get to the point where you place me at the center of your life. And every disciple takes Jesus and surrenders to him and places the gospel at the center of their life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these incredible words from from your holy word. May they be applied to us today. May we not only answer the call today to to be your disciple, but we stop putting off making disciples. So help us, Lord. Continue to, to stir that Holy Spirit into our sinful nature to where we look a lot more like you than we do ourselves. In your holy name I pray, amen. If I can help you in any way, Rick at rickandbubba.com. Thank you for being with us. Remember, next week, no Bible study, but we'll be back uh, two weeks from today. Thanks a lot.